Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Tampa Bay Lightning are now on the brink of elimination after losing in overtime. 12 minutes and 2 seconds in, Nazem Kadri makes his return in first game of the Stanley Cup Final. For the Avalanche, he puts in a goal past Vasilevsky, at Vasilevsky kind of under his arm a little bit. And the Lightning now trail three games to one in the Stanley Cup Final as they still attempt to win their third straight. Steve Versnick, Rick Stroud's on vacation, although you'll hear from him a little later on a segment we pre-taped about Deshaun Watson. As the news broke yesterday, he has settled with 20 out of 24 of the civil suits against him. But the Lightning on, what was it, Wednesday night, lose track of what night it is. The Lightning on Wednesday night got off to a quick start. Anthony Sorelli, 36 seconds into the game, one of the fastest goals in Stanley Cup Finals history. Uh, I believe I'm looking at it one, two, three, four, five, eighth fastest in Stanley Cup final history uh, in the expansion era since 1967 68. Uh, so, Lightning get a lead, something we've talked a lot about in this series. The first two games, the Lightning were chasing the game constantly, and thus they lost both games, never had a lead in the game. Finally, in game two or game three at home, they give up a goal, it gets taken off the board of a review. Then they give up another goal, but then they score two goals late in the first and take a lead into the first intermission. I thought that was huge on Monday night in Game 3, which the Lightning ended up winning 6-2. to two. The Lightning have the lead in the first period. They take that lead into the intermission. Then in the second period, Victor Hedman takes an interference penalty, and the Avalanche power play, which has been lethal this series, I believe 5-for-11 going in the game. It's now 6-for-13 in the series as Nathan McKinnon gets the goal on the power play to even up the, the, the score at one game or one goal apiece. And Victor Hedman, uh, almost in Stamkos' fashion, uh, what was it, five minutes later, not the next shift like Stamkos took a penalty, watched him score, and then came out and took the lead 21 seconds later. But five minutes later, Victor Hedman then puts a backhander past Darcy Kemper, and the Lightning go back up 2-1, to one, and they take that lead into the second intermission, and you're thinking, all right, the Lightning know how to lock things down. They've done this consistently over the last three playoffs. You have a lead going into the third period. You're on home ice in the postseason. Just lock it down. Well, Andrew Cogliano gets a goal, kind of goes off, actually. Nico Sturm's shot it tips off him and goes in the net past Vasilevsky, and the game is tied at three or at two apiece in the third period. It would then go to overtime. I thought through the first 60 minutes of the game, I thought the Lightning played the better game. Uh, the Avalanche got better as the game went on. Um, I thought the Lightning got off to a good start. I thought the Avalanche started really well in the second and third periods, but then the Lightning kind of got better in those periods. Avalanche, uh, the first period, what, the shots were 17-4. to four. Now, the, the Avalanche had a lot of shot attempts. The Lightning blocked, I want to look it up to make sure I have the right number, 34 shots in the game Wednesday night. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev had seven blocks himself. Uh, Andre Palat had five. Um, Plot had that five early in the game, though. Uh, but 
the Lightning were doing what it takes to, to win this game. And, you know, they end up coming up short in the overtime. But I thought the Lightning did well. They lost Eric Chernak early in the game. He blocked a shot. He tried to come back, uh, came back to the bench, skated during the breaks a little bit on the ice, couldn't get off the ice. Uh, did that during a, the, the power play that Nathan McKinnon scored on. So the Lightning played with five defensemen. And by the end of the game, particularly in overtime, they looked gassed. The team just looked like they were out of energy. Colorado, while the game itself was a really good game, Colorado dominated the overtime. Uh, The Lightning got three shots on goal, and you're kind of thinking back, you're like, I don't even remember those shots, and they did. But Colorado had the possession of the puck almost the entire overtime for the 12 minutes and two seconds. And there's some controversy on the game-winning goal. And John Cooper hinted at it in his postgame. Wouldn't talk about it. it. Was very out of character for John Cooper in his post game. Uh, his comments. It, normally, he's got pretty good perspective on everything. Will give you a long answer on most of the questions and his insight into what he's thinking. This was a, a kind of out of character press conference for John Cooper. And, and and so to make sure you understand, let me just play the audio for you here. John, how disappointing was it to get out of that first period with just one goal? And did that push maybe take a little bit out of you as that game went on? Um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I thought we had a really strong first. We had the lead. Um, you know, I love this league. It's, uh, it's the greatest league in the world. The people that run it are amazing everything about it it's it's like a dream come true for me especially being a canadian kid growing up and everything that's gone on and a lot of times when you're uh you know i've been part of some heartbreaking losses and and defeats to to teams that that took us out and been with a group that just fights and fights and fights and they fought their way to to a third Stanley Cup final in a row. And in a cap era, when when it's so damn hard and the r- rules are put against you because you know, the, the league wants parity. And I love that about the league. And that's what makes it tougher. And this, just watch this team, what they've gone through and the battling that's gone on and... and we're all in this together, players, coaches, refs, everybody. But it just, it just this one's, this one's going to sting much more than others just because I think it was taken on, it was potential, I don't know. I, it's hard for me. This is going to be hard for me to speak. I'm going to have to speak. I'll speak with you tomorrow. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And I, my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. Um, I'll be available tomorrow. So Coach Cooper didn't really want to answer many questions and talk about it. Now, he mentioned when you see the goal, you'll know. Um, There's two things he could be talking about. One, the Lightning had cleared the puck right beforehand, and it looked like Bo Byram may have hit the puck with a high stick in in the neutral zone before it went all the way down to Darcy Kemper, who then fed it up. Uh, for the the game winning goal, 
Uh, if if he did touch it, that should have been blown dead as played with a high stick. Uh, it wasn't. And it, the, ev- the video evidence doesn't show you exactly whether he did touch it with a stick or not, so a questionable call. But more importantly, it sure looked like, and I didn't see this live, but in seeing some of the replays and video on Twitter and that, that the Avalanche definitely had six men on the ice. That Kadri came off the bench, and it was six, seven seconds later maybe that Eric Johnson got to the bench to go off. That Now, and typically, so the puck went down the ice to Darcy Kemper. And had Darcy just kept the puck there, waited for a defenseman to come get it, Kadri coming off and Eric Johnson going off probably doesn't warrant a too many men on the ice penalty. But Darcy Kemper quickly played the puck up to Nazem Kadri, who was came off the bench, and he's playing the puck before the guy he came off the bench for is even anywhere near the bench, and he ends up scoring the game-winning goal on that. Too many men on the ice is not a reviewable play by the NHL. Uh, the uh, the league talked to the officials after the game, as they always do. They always talk to the officials and ask things that went on, and all four referees or linesmen said that they did not see too many men on the ice and did not say said there was not an infraction on the game-winning goal. Uh, but in overtime, too many men on the ice for the Avalanche, and they score the game-winning goal, and the Lightning now trail this series three games to one. This series is taking some ebbs and flows, and, and if you want to break it down, two games were blowouts, one for each team. Game two, 7 nothing for the Avalanche. Game three, 6-2 for the Lightning. The other two games go to overtime, and Colorado wins both of them. If Tampa Bay can somehow win both of those games, and in overtime it's one puck, one bounce, one lucky missed call, Although the officials did swallow lots of calls in the overtime and late in the third for both sides. But the Lightning could be up 3-1, to one, but they're not. They're down 3-1, to one, a situation I don't believe this group has been in. We were, I was thinking back real quick. The Lightning trailed Pittsburgh in 2011 3-1 and came back and won. Uh, but most, I mean, Stamkos and Hedman would have been on the team in this group, but that would have been the only two players that would be on that team back in 2011. I don't think this group has overcome a 3-1 deficit. I could be wrong. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But um, it means they have to win two games in Colorado now, a place they did not look very good the first two games of this series. Um, Found their legs or found their game in in game three here at Tampa and played pretty well for game four. Uh, Dave Mishkin and Phil Esposito thought it was the Lightning's best game of the series, even better than the 6-2 win in game three. Uh, not not counting the overtime, but the first three periods. Uh, thought they played very well. They just, Darcy Kemper was good. He stopped a lot, and, and the Lightning just didn't get shots in the net. Um, the power play continues to struggle. They got some looks, got some shots, but nothing's going in. They've had one power play goal this series. Meanwhile, Colorado... Like I said, a 6-for-13 on the power play this series, um, near 50%. And, and that, you know, five a five-goal difference on the special teams, that's the series. I mean, you've got two overtime goals that were decided by one goal. You had a power play goal tonight. You had a power play goal in game one. You don't give up the power play goals, and you could be the Lightning could be leading this series 3-1. to one. So 
Uh, frustrating night for the Lightning. Um, they have a lot of work to do, and we'll see you know, if Eric Chernak can go in Game 5. Anthony Sorelli left for a while and looked like maybe he cut his arm or wrist or something. He didn't take face-offs when he came back, but he played the rest of the game. So Lightning banged up. Steven Stamkos referred to in this postgame, said lots of guys are going through things and battling and more than anyone knows. So, you know, the Lightning now have a challenge that they haven't faced yet. Uh, Being down three games to one to a very talented Colorado team who now gets to play two of those games on home ice. So game five will be Friday night in Denver. Uh, eight o'clock puck drop, or shortly thereafter, as as the whole series has been, and the Lightning looking to extend that series to Game Six to get the game home. And and as Alex Kalorn and, and many of the other players after the game, you know, talked about, we're not worried about the next game or the game after that. We just got to win one game, and then you got to win one more, and then you got to win one more. You know, you can't win Game Seven before you've won Game Five, and it's going to take a much better effort than what they gave in Denver the first two games. Uh, Maybe altitude and the length of stay out there had something to do with that. Hard to tell. But it's going to take a much better effort. Um, I thought the Lightning, some some good things from the game. I thought the fourth line of Maroon, Belmar, and Riley Nash was very good. Uh, They spent a lot of time in the offensive zone, generated a lot of chances. Um, that's always good. Eric Chernak going down, of course. I thought Jan Ruda played very well in this game. And, you know, he had to play more than, than usual. Uh, he played, what, 22-43? Of course, there's overtime, too, so everybody's shifts are a little higher. But uh, Victor Hedman played over 30 minutes, by the way. Mikhail Sergachev was almost 33 minutes uh, when you look at ice time. Uh, and Kale McCarr for, for Colorado was 35 almost. So, um, But the Lightning... The penalty kill's got to get better. Uh, Colorado is extremely good on the power play, and they've got a lot of confidence right now. And the Lightning best stay out of the box come Friday night. They only took two penalties tonight. It wasn't wasn't like they were in the box a lot tonight. But Colorado capitalized one out of two. Meanwhile, the Lightning had two power plays and went zero for two. You know, those are things that make a difference in the game. At some point, the Lightning's power play has to get going. Um. Block shots were big with 34. The fourth line played very well. Um, I, it was a good effort by the Lightning. I, just over time, for whatever reason, Colorado's very good at coming out of start of periods and playing well. The Lightning looked gassed, and they were dominating overtime. I mean, no question about it. If you looked at overtime, Colorado deserved to win that game as far as overtime. If you look at the whole course of the game, you know, it was a it was probably the most evenly played game, maybe. Although I thought the Lightning, I thought the Lightning played well. I thought they were the better team through sixty minutes. It, you know, it, it ended up two two because Darcy Kemper was really good. Something you know, he had a really bad game three and got benched, and he came out and played very well. I, the Headman backhand shot was probably a bad goal, but other than that, you know, I mean, the Sorelli goal was a great goal. He probably wants the Headman goal back, but. You know, other than that, he was great. He stopped, uh, what is it, 37 saves on the night because Lightning had 39 shots. I mean, Avalanche, while the Lightning had the shot advantage of 39-37, the Avalanche put 90 shots, shot attempts, compared to 68 for the Lightning. 
I don't know how many of the shot attempts were overtime. The overtime shots were in favor of the Avalanche 10 to 3. So shots on net was 10 to 3 in the in the overtime period. So um Lightning have their work cut out for them if they want to win a third straight Stanley Cup. They've got to win three in a row now against Colorado, who I, I think, and you've heard us talk about in this podcast, is the maybe the most talented team in the NHL, although not sure about their goalie, although he played well on, on Wednesday night. So as Rick would say, it's, uh, it'll take a miraculous effort for the Lightning to win this Stanley Cup, and no, that doesn't mean he's counting them out. He just thinks it's uh, a very tall task to win three in a row against this Colorado team. But the Lightning have won three in a row many times before. Uh, regular season, postseason, etc. So um, their eight-game home winning streak in the playoffs got snapped. So they're now eight and two at home, uh, but now they got to go on the road and win. So in Colorado, uh, has lost a couple games at home. They lost two to St. Louis at home. So um, they they don't have an undefeated record at home. The Lightning need to go in there and win Game Five, and then worry about Game Six when you get to Game Six on Sunday night, which hopefully uh, there will be a Game Six in Amelie Arena. So. Uh, coming up next, Rick uh, and I talk about Deshaun Watson and the news that broke on Tuesday that he has settled with 20 out of 24 of the civil suits and maybe a suspension from the NFL is upcoming and uh, talks a little bit about uh, that and how it relates to the Jameis Winston suspension from a few years ago that kind of dragged on a little bit and then came out about this time during the summer. So uh, Rick's on vacation. Steve Versnick uh, filling in, holding the fort down. We'll have some of your mailbag questions tomorrow. We pre-taped that uh, before Rick left on vacation, so you'll hear uh, that tomorrow on the podcast. So thank you for listening. Uh, Rick, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Deshaun Watson coming up next. And while it might be cool inside Emily Arena, guess what? It's hot outside, and you do not want to suffer this summer with your old AC system. Call the experts at Air Rescue. Air Rescue offers superior service at just unbeatable prices. Now, your air conditioning unit is going to perform 30% better. It's going to last longer with just regular maintenance by Air Rescue. They have an award-winning team, delivers 24 hours a day. In fact, if your air conditioning system goes down, They have emergency service. Not everybody can say that. 24-7. 100% satisfaction guaranteed for residential installation and repairs. They're family-owned. They have over 75 years in the business. Now, these things can get expensive, but guess what? Air Rescue offers 100% financing. Very affordable payments and a very easy application process. You've got no administration or bank fees or any extra costs with all that financing. Call our friends at Air Rescue at 813-612-5600 or go to airrescueflorida.com. For all your air conditioning needs, it's Air Rescue. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has now settled with 22 of the 24. 20 of 24. 20 of 24. I knew I was going to screw that up. 20 of 24 uh, complainants in his civil suit. 
Uh, these are uh, uh, ladies that came forward to say uh, various things about his uh, misbehavior during massages and whatnot. So he, he settled with all but four uh, of those folks in, in, in civil litigation. We know that the uh, grand jury failed to return indictments. This was some time ago, um, and so there's no criminal charges pending. What does this mean for Deshaun Watson? Does that mean he's in the clear? Does it, if he's able to settle with all these these folks uh, uh, before the NFL comes down with his punishment, is will there be a punishment? What will that mitigate things? That's those are all great questions. I'm going to tell you what my experience is with the NFL and this sort of case. Now, there's obviously Deshaun Watson's in a class by, of his own when it comes to you know 24, maybe. Uh, upwards, I guess there could be more twenty six or so complaints, um, you know, for his behavior during these uh, massage sessions. And there's, according to the New York Times, been something like sixty uh, different people that have he has gone to uh, for massages while he was in Houston. The Texans might be implicated in 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 some instances where they got people to sign NDAs and all that. So there's the civil litigation. There's no criminal case. What will the NFL do? How do they how do they come down on this? Um, there's been a lot of news, a lot of speculation lately about how uh, the NFL might might be uh, asking for as much as a um, you know as as a year suspension, um, and you know Deshaun Watson, the NFL Players Association, might be going to appeal this on the basis of hey, what about you know various owners right um, that have not been punished similarly, and they're supposed to be held to a higher standard, so. All of this is sort of kind of laying in the weeds a little bit. I went through this uh, as a reporter, if you remember, when Jameis Winston ultimately was suspended. Oh, I remember. Um, yeah, we all remember, for three games. And, uh, you know, that happened, actually, the, the incident happened the year after his rookie season. Now, he came into the league with the Erica Kinsman situation at Florida State. Um, that was civil litigation that was settled before he got to the NFL um, and he came in under that sort of, you know, uh, cloud, if you will, um, very polarizing pick, um, you know, and, and he, you know, vowed to, uh, prove what kind of guy he was. He was going to be a pillar of the community, all that stuff. Uh, and then after his rookie year, he was at a Kurt Warner golf tournament out in Los Angeles and allegedly, um, had too much to drink and, or so he says, uh, was, you know, poured into an Uber um, by a bunch of his former teammates from Florida State and some other places. Uh, and during that ride, allegedly, the Uber driver accused him of sexual assault. They stopped um, at, a, at a Mexican drive through to get tacos, whatever, uh, and he, he allegedly assaulted her uh, by grabbing her and, and this sort of thing. Uh, and and that, that case did not come to um, sort of the light. TMZ broke it, and it was entering... Really, I think it was James after Jameis's third season, uh, and you know, during the summer we dealt with this, and and Jason Zimmerman was Jameis Winston's attorney at the time, and I remember this because I was dealing with Jason, who's who's an excellent attorney. I still credit him uh, for really reducing uh, that suspension. They started at six games. I mean that that was supposedly not even negotiable from there, uh, and at the time Jameis was maintaining his innocence. Um, you know, the, the woman filed a report right away with Uber, Uber called to try to investigate it. Uh, he would not cooperate with Uber. So they had, you know, there was mitigating circumstances all over the place. 
it ultimately was a he said, she said in a sense. Um, but James's defense wasn't very good. His defense was, I don't remember. Um, I had too much to drink. I, I couldn't tell you what happened because I don't remember. Uh, I don't think I did anything. I don't think I would have assaulted anybody. But given his history coming into the league, the league obviously couldn't just, you know, just turn its its back on it. And I think what people confuse about the NFL personal conduct policy, it says nothing, absolutely nothing about criminality. Um, obviously, if you're arrested or you do something uh, that's a criminal offense, that that's going to hurt you. But it's not a requirement for punishment. Um, it's a very intentionally vague uh, policy, uh, the personal conduct policy for all people in the NFL, not just players, but coaches, administrators, all of that. And it's left that way. So it's at the discretion of the commissioner ultimately. And I think he has a third party actually uh, investigating this and it's going to render a, a decision that either he can appeal or the NFL PA. Um, but basically it says anything that sort of is, you know, behavior that is not, uh, you know, in line, I could read it to you, but I'm not going to, is basically anything that would bring sort of, you know, uh, a bad light to, to yourself, to the NFL, um, the sort of conduct that uh, they hold themselves to a higher standard, you know, the NFL, playing in the NFL is a privilege. It, it's so intentionally broad that almost anything, you could be found in violation of, of a personal conduct policy if you're on the wrong side of a situation and they they find that you're culpable. So, you know, James's might have been one of the first negotiated settlements, I believe, in talking to Jason Zimmerman in that they started at six games. And part of that was not just this incident, but because of what he came into the league with. It's like, we have to do something. We have to send a strong message here if we believe in, you know, protecting people um, against this sort of activity. And and so they um, started at six. For Jameis to get it down to three games, um, he had to agree to a bunch of things. He had to read to alcohol counseling, for example, uh, in his statement that he wrote, uh, it, and he could not appeal. That was another uh, another situation where they said, "Listen, we'll reduce it. You can't appeal it." Um, and so he he waived his right to appeal. He took the punishment of three games. He had to admit um, some culpability uh, that he was responsible for making this person feel. Uh, the way they did, and that he had to, had to show some remorse for that, for his behavior. And so all of these elements had to be in the statement, and 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 it was. So when I look at the, the Deshaun Watson situation, I, I think we're, we're at a place that the league hasn't been in some time. Um, this is a an incredible number of people who are alleging very similar stories and behaviors by Deshaun Watson. The fact that there's not uh, a criminal indictment against him is is not something that's going to get him uh, much leniency, I think, in this case. I think the sheer volume of it, and, and we're finding out more. Here's the other thing. Almost from the beginning, Deshaun Watson said, I have done nothing wrong, essentially. You know, anything I did with these people was consensual. Consensual. I want to clear my name. He has shown really virtually no uh, uh, mea culpa at all in this situation with any of those complaints. This is a money grab, et cetera. And in the meantime, now we hear, you know, even prior to him reaching a settlement with 20 of the 24 complainants, um, supposedly he had offered them all like $100,000, uh, you know, some time ago, and none of those cases were settled. I don't know what the settlement will be ultimately with these other folks. Uh, it, it's probably not going to be disclosed. There's probably an NDA about that since it's civil lit- litigation. Um, but I would, I would submit to you just based on, 
on the sort of pressure that the NFL applies, um, you know, in, in sort of meting out the discipline that they have said to, was it Rusty Harden is his attorney and, and to Deshaun, you need to, you need to settle these cases. Like at minimum, this civil litigation needs to be taken care of. You know, uh, we can't continue to find more and more and more or more details from people that can speak about these incidents. It needs to be handled. It needs to be civil, civilly handled in civil court, and a settlement needs to be reached, and they need to be done with, right? If there's more, them too. Um, I would imagine that he is quickly uh, trying to um, get through that total number before the NFL hands down its ultimate punishment. And the timing of it is such that it reminds me of the Jameis Winston situation. So this week, full disclosure, I'm going on vacation. At when, when, when Jameis Winston was being punished, I knew it, you know, you could, you, it was inevitable. There was going to be about five hours I was going to be over the Pacific Ocean with no internet at all. And I said to my wife, months in advance, I said, you know when this is going to come down? When we're taking off from the West Coast after our connection to go to Hawaii. And it's going to happen then. I'll be damned. I was walking onto the plane uh, when I get the little message from uh, my source, if you will, uh, that they had uh, they they were coming down with with the uh, the announcement and the punishment that it was three games, and the deal was you know wait till six o'clock and, and it was maybe twenty minutes till six Eastern time when this was occurring. And it's like okay, so nothing before six. That was the embargo time, if you will. Yeah, wait till six because, um, you know, it's going to go on probably Sports Center and other places. Okay, so, you know, I, I had already had the story written. I knew it was three games, had known for some time. They reduced it from six to three games, which was really a break for Deshaun or for uh, Jameis Winston at the time because he agreed to do all these things. And uh, sure enough, wouldn't you know it, at about 555, Breaking news, according to my sources, Jameis Winston suspended for three games. It's like, well, somebody didn't hold up the other end of the bargain, did they? They they busted it by about five minutes. Um, but Winston got his three games. And if you talk to people that have sort of been in, you know, in those sort of talks with the NFL on, on you know, personal conduct policy discipline, I, I think minimum six, probably closer to eight, and then we'll see. Now the reporting with the Washington Post and others has been, no, he could, he could be looking at a year. And, boy, what do the Cleveland Browns look like, Steve, if all of a sudden Deshaun Watson, the kind of money you gave this guy, and I get that they, you know, at some point he's going to get out from under this and they're going to have a quarterback for the next 10 years with the Cleveland Browns and eventually whatever fans are, you know, that have grievances with him will, will forgive him, I suppose, or a bunch will. Um, but what, what does this look like if you were to lose – Deshaun Watson, and he's suspended for a, for a full year. Well, isn't that why Baker Mayfield's still on the roster? Maybe, but I can't. Can you can you fathom them going to Baker and saying, "Hey, um, you know that whole thing about we need an adult in the room, and, and you know, in us going and spending all this money on Deshaun Watson? Yeah, we need you to play this year." What would Baker say? I would tell him to go shove it. I'm, I mean, they owe him eighteen million dollars. I know he's got to show up eventually and play, or at least. You know, yeah, you don't show up, you don't get paid. Team. You don't get paid. But the reason why he hasn't been traded to date, because I know there are teams that want him, Carolina probably first and foremost, is nobody wants to pay the $18.5 million or whatever he's owed. They want the Browns to pick up a big portion of that tab at minimum. 
Um, and the Browns so far haven't been willing to do it. Are they going to go back to Baker Mayfield and say, we need you to be our quarterback? I, I, I can't fathom that that would happen that way. They brought in other backups, you know, as well. I and ultimately think Kobe Brissett. And I think like he'll that. be traded prior to the season. I just don't think I there's, do too. You I know, do too. Carolina can wait the Browns out at this point as far as paying. Sure, them. they got leverage. Yeah, you know that you don't have to have your quarterback yet. Right. You know. Right. Ask a month from now, and then the pressure starts turning up. But I mean, Jacoby Brissett is going to be your Cleveland Browns quarterback, in my opinion. Just add him to the list of uh, Browns quarterbacks since, what, 1999? <laughs> it's incredible, man. <laughs> I mean, they've had 25. A good friend of mine <clears throat> covers the Browns, Mary Kay Cabot, and we we are um, sort of soulmates when it comes to forlorn franchises until the Bucks suddenly turned it around, and the Browns never did. But the the list of quarterbacks, and some of them could play, by the way, um, you know, I, I still say that, you know, Tim Couch, I mean, Bruce Arians is one of the biggest Tim Couch guys ever. He was there in Cleveland when Couch was there, and it's just such a bad team around him. He got hurt. No, no wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Bruce Arians is such a big Tim Couch guy, mm-hmm. what's that say about Blaine Gabbert? Uh, not much. <laughs> we know that Bruce Arians is a big Blaine Gabbert guy. a big guy. Blaine Gabbert guy, too. But, but, but a lot of people thought Couch could play. I mean, Couch was going to be drafted pretty high whether he went to the Browns number one overall or not, you know. And let's face it, they've eaten a lot of quarterbacks in their day. Um, didn't seem to matter who came through there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, maybe Bruce's. Blaine Gabbert was a 10th overall pick. Lost his touch. Well, he was, and he went to Jacksonville. And that's what happens. When you're, when you're picked high, you go to the crappiest team. So did Jameis Winston. That hurt him. Believe me, didn't help Jameis Winston coming to Tampa Bay with the roster that he inherited. I mean, Mike Evans and who else? Yeah. You know, then they fire Lovey Smith, you know, two seasons into his, his – uh, NFL career and Dirk Cutter um, sticks around for a couple more years. It doesn't get any better, um, you know. So I'm I'm not holding a telethon for Jameis Winston, but you know I think I think he had a had a tough draw. But he hurt himself too. He hurt himself with the behavior. Mm-hmm. He got the suspension. And the thing is, the Browns, the Brown, how much how much digging did they really do? I mean, w- would you have paid this guy all this money if you thought he was going to be lost for a season? Well, first of all, the contract this year, what, pays him a million dollars or something? I mean, they, they structured the I, I, contract. They structured so that he wouldn't lose the money yeah. if he was suspended. Right. right. I mean, you know, this is a long-term play for the Browns. They, they have known play. that, mm-hmm. you know, at least six or eight games this year, if not more. Yeah. You know, they didn't trade him for this year specifically. It was, no. you know, he's not a rental. This is a long-term deal for them. It's a long-term commitment, yeah. You know, are they happy with a year? I'm sure not. But yeah. if that's what it turns out to be. But, right. you know, you go through the list of quarterbacks. I just pulled it up. I mean, some of these names. Mm-hmm. Tim Couch, Ty Detmer, Doug Peterson, Spurgeon Wynn, Kelly Holcomb. Kelly Holcomb, former Buck. You know, Jeff Garcia. Former Buck. Luke McCown. Trent <laughs> former Dilfer. Buck. Former Buck. Charlie Fry. <laughs> you see a trend going yeah, here? <laughs> Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn, Ken Dorsey, Bruce Gridkowski. Derek Anderson, good ball. Former Buck. Yeah. Uh, Colt McCoy, Jake Delhomme, Seneca Wallace, wow, Brandon Whedon, first round pick, Thad Lewis, Brandon. Thad Lewis, Bucks coach, yeah. Yeah. Jason Campbell, Former. Brian mm-hmm. Hoyer, of course Johnny Football, Manzel, Connor Shaw, uh, Josh McCown, They're both McCowns, also former Buck, yeah. Austin Davis, Cody Kessler, RG three. Oh. 
Wow. Deshaun Kaiser. I got RG3 played there for yeah. a minute. Kevin Hogan, Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum, and Nick Mullins. Woo. All since oh 99. <laughs> and we got Jacoby Brissett added to that as well, I believe. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, a stellar list, although some of those guys actually had some success in other places, but not when they got to Cleveland. By the time they got to Cleveland, it was... You know, Jeff Garcia was there before he came to Tampa, though, and he actually had some decent years. He made the playoffs in Tampa Bay after his uh, his Cleveland situation. Yeah, he had ten starts in uh, two thousand four for the Browns. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's going to be another starter this year, and I don't think it's going to be Deshaun Watson at least for the first half of the year, and maybe longer. Um, I think he gets a minimum of eight games. I don't even think he can. I don't even think he could talk his way, write his way, um, and. and you know, the other part of this is that is, is just how he's maintained steadfastly. Like, I did nothing wrong. I, at some point, you're going to have to say, look, these people felt that I did something wrong, and I'm very sorry for putting them in those situations. That's on me. 60 different, uh, according to New York Times, um, people that have, have he's used as, as uh, for massage therapy, all female um, that, that we know of, or at least the ones that are, that are filing these complaints, it's unconscionable. Like, like at some point, man, you have to say, my judgment sucked, and I did things to put people in positions to feel like they were assaulted. This is on me and only me. And and I think that, you know, if he wants to mitigate any kind of punishment, he's going to have to do that. Um, but it's clear to me that, you know, the decision's coming down probably about the same time time it was with Jameis, which was right around the middle to the end of June, which is where we're at right now. So this could be any day. Maybe I'll take off again from the West Coast and find out when I land that Deshaun Watson has been suspended. But um, I, I think that, that that is part of the effort uh, to get these settlements done because uh, it's probably a requirement. It's pro- you know, he has attorneys. Harden's talking to the NFL every day. Um, you know, what do we got to do? How do we get this behind us? What are we looking at in terms of punishment? How do we lower this number of games, et cetera, et cetera? And, you know, I, I imagine that's why the timing of this is what it is. But um, boy, it's it's interesting how how these things come down, and and it's clear to me that we're looking at an announcement by the NFL probably within the next week or two. This is the you know the same with the Jameis Winston. This is kind of their downtime of the season, get it out of the way before training camp. This is kind of when they announce this stuff. Right, right, yeah, because you want to give the teams a little bit of time to prepare, um, so they know going into training camp and and. You know, Jameis was allowed to participate in training camp. He was allowed to prepare up until, you know, the first week um, of the season. And then he had to go away, you know, uh, right before the first uh, practice week of, uh, leading up to the first first game. And um, that might be the case with Watson. You can see him in the preseason, all of that stuff. Uh, but they need to let him know because they got to know who their starting quarterback is going to be. And then, of course, they're still dealing with Baker Mayfield. So, yeah, I think we're – we're probably weeks, if not days, away um, from finding out what Deshaun Watson's fate is going to be. And I don't expect an appeal because I, I think for him, much like for Jameis, it will, it will probably do him better uh, to go ahead and, and reach some sort of agreement with the league and let them reduce the number of games that way as opposed to going through the NFLPA. And then more discovery comes out, right, in, in, the, in, in, in the grievance or in the – whatever hearing there would be, uh, you know, the league's not going to be pleased that you're going to fight their suspension to begin with. Um, and so they're going to go for everything they can get at that point. 
So I, I, I would expect that this is the, the beginning of the process of trying to, to lower whatever, whatever they're talking about and, and try to make it as, as few games as possible. And it may still wind up being a year, but um, my guess this is the first steps to that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.